0: Women Today, brought to you by Citywing.com, for your next flight away. Hello and welcome to the Women Today podcast. From calories on menus to music and memories, we've covered a number of issues this week. And we've also been in the presence of some stars, including one who made Kate's childhood dreams come true.
1: Hi, I'm Melanie C and you're listening to Women Today. So they say you should never meet your heroes.
2: I'm a little bit nervous, you're going to let me down.
1: (laughs) Oh, gosh, no pressure.
2: (laughs) How have you enjoyed tonight?
1: Oh, it's been amazing. You know, it's so lovely to be back on the Isle of Man. It's only my second visit, and in fact, it's the first time I've performed here. Um, So it's good to get here to do that. And to be with Jules' band, you know, it's just the best way to to perform. It's like, I haven't seen the guys, we haven't performed together for, oh, gosh, a a long time. Um, Probably close to a year. And um, they invited me to come to this particular show, and I was just like, definitely, I am there because getting on stage with those guys—they're such wonderful, accomplished, brilliant musicians. It's just as a vocalist, it's an absolute honour to grace that stage with them.
2: Do you like this kind of music,
1: the boogie woogie? you can't not like Jules. He is like, I call him Uncle Jules, because he's just so sweet, and everybody's lovely. I think that's a real testament to him, as a he's such a great guy, that everybody who around him is brilliant in what they do, and really lovely as well. And, you know, he does lots of boogie-woogie, but he does lots of musical styles. You know, we do Never Be The Same Again, one of my songs, and they do it with a kind of a reggae feel. So, it's, you know, it's quite varied. He's not just boogie-woogie, he kind of crosses lots of different genres of music.
2: Now, we are women today, so I have to some questions about being a woman in the music industry. Mm-hmm. How do you think it's
1: changed since you started out wow well I think you know being a woman in many industries has changed for the better since the 90s and you know over the decades and um, you know unfortunately in, in lots of professions it's it's not changing quick enough um, but at least we're, we're going in the right direction and you know music's really changed and, and I feel very proud being a Spice Girl and I think our success really helped a lot of the younger female artists who are out there now and and it's lovely when you meet artists like Adele and Jessie J and Little Mix and and they were fans, you know, and mm-hmm. and um, you know we've kind of been through a time where female artists have been ruling, you know, the biggest artists in the world, Beyonce, Rihanna, Katy Perry, um, you know, and our wonderful British girls as well. It's um, it's pretty astounding. I don't think there's ever been a time in music like it, really.
2: I'm only 24, so I was very much the age for the Spice Girls. Yeah. I think I. I had a few arguments in the playgrounds, fighting, <laughs> fighting to be sporty spies. Well,
1: really? Oh, I'm flattered. But <laughs> you, I mean, thinking about it, um, Wannabe will be 20 next year, so you must have only been like five. Mm,
2: I was, I yeah, was, kicking was them out me. the way so I could play football with the boys. <laughs> But do you feel responsible in some ways with all the kind of girl power stuff that you you had back in the 90s for the new wave of feminism that we're seeing as people who are my my age grow up?
1: Well, you know, I, I don't think we're we're wholly responsible for it, but I think all of us are very, very proud because we do meet lots of girls, whether it be in music and in different industries, that say, you know, I was really inspired by you girls when I was growing up, and you made me realise I could do what I wanted to do, and and um, yeah, and that's really nice. I think that's the highest compliment that we can be paid as the Spice Girls. How do you feel about nineties fashion coming back? Well, quite good, because I've still got lots in the wardrobe, if I can fit in it. But yeah, you know, these things, it, it kind of, it makes you feel old, suppose, doesn't it? When, like, your era becomes retro, it's like, oh, gosh, I'm that person now. Now you've made but, all the Top of the Pops too. Yeah, yeah, but it's, you know, but it's cool. I think you have to embrace um, everything. In the 90s, it was a great, it was a great decade for Britain, actually. And, you know, we, we've had tougher times since then, so it's quite nice to reminisce and look back to, um, to uh, more innocent days. You've made moves now. Into judging other people, mm. how did you find that? I've really enjoyed it. I've been working on Asia's Got Talent. It was our first season, and you know, of all those shows, for me, it's it's the one which is pretty wholesome. You know, it's family entertainment. I'm a mum as well. My little girl six. And we've seen some incredible talent and I've enjoyed it. And it's it's not something I ever thought I was going to do, but I'm really glad I've had the opportunity. It's really enabled me to travel again and I spent time with my little girl over in Singapore and to meet David Foster and Angoon and Van Ness, who are two Asian artists I didn't know at all. And yeah, it's nice. It's like you're always learning. It just gives you the opportunity to, to kind of, you know, spread your wings and, and, and keep going.
2: Do you think it's easier to be a working mom? when you can take your daughter with you
1: um yeah definitely I think it's nice to have that that choice and that option um it doesn't always work out well and it's not always for the best you know I think it's hard as a mum it's hard being a stay-at-home mum in many ways harder I should imagine than, than being a working mum and um yeah you know you always have to try and think what's best for your child don't you so yeah trying to fit things around term time and not being away too much is kind of my priority So
2: you've been on the Isle of Man. I guess you're off now. What's next for you? What's coming up? What's
1: next? I've been writing, actually, slowly and steadily over the past year. And I'm very excited about my new record. Um, I'm sure it will be um, close to being finished early next year. But I'm not rushing because I just want it to be great. And up to now, it's, it's going really well. I'm working with lots of collaborators that I've worked with in the past. and meeting new people. Yeah, just looking forward to having new material and, and, and going out and gigging myself with my own band.
2: Well, thank you for making eight-year-old me absolutely Yay. chuffed. <laughs> thank you. Now. I can feel some disagreement coming on because we're asking should restaurants have to display the calorie content of their food and drink? The local government association in the UK says some restaurants, pubs and cinema chains already do, but says the industry must do more. Now, it's already happening in the United States, where large restaurant chains have until the end of next year. Chairman of the LGA's Community
0: Wellbeing Board said... We are calling on cinema, restaurant and pub chains to step up and show leadership in tackling the obesity crisis by providing clear and graphic signs at counters and on menus. In many cases, people are unaware of how many calories they're consuming. Food and drink outlets should be doing more to provide clear and prominent
2: labelling, which spells this out clearly. But what do you think? Should restaurants, cafes, pubs, and cinemas have to display the calorie count of every menu option? Let us know your thoughts. Text 166 177 or email womensday at manxradio.com.
3: And Joe. Oh, you're giving it to me first. Joe, I think I might know how you feel about uh-huh, this. Uh huh. I think you might. Um, I'm definitely not on both sides of the fence here. I know exactly where I stand. Yes, I do agree. I think that calories should be um, put onto um, everything within a restaurant, cafe, pub, cinema, because I've seen the traffic light signals working, for instance, when you go to um, a supermarket and there's red, there's amber and there's green. And I see people looking at it and making those choices. But of course, with my background in helping people lose weight, a lot of people think, oh, do you know what? You should know what's healthy when you look at a menu. Well, it's really interesting because if you go to a local coffee shop where they actually do put the calories onto their food products, you may think that maybe a granola bar is really, really healthy for you because it's got all the right things in it, like oats and maybe fruit. But actually, when you look at the calorie content on it, there's more calories in that um, than there is maybe in a bacon bap. And you actually might be better going for the bacon bap. However, um, you know, I just feel that when it comes to people's knowledge I think you're very good at maybe not knowing what's healthy and what's not healthy. But there is a lot of people that could do that guidance and make more sensible choices. But are people obsessed with calories? No, I don't think they are at all. I don't think they really? are. Really?
2: People look at calories and make a choice on what they want to eat?
3: I think there's worse things to be obsessed with.
2: Alex, what do you reckon?
4: I'm somewhere in between, just to, just to be pedantic. I think it's good to know. I think when you're going out eating, you're already saying, well, I'm not making this myself. I'm going to have a bit of a treat. Usually, uh, as a generalization, you go out and it's a social thing, so you're going to kind of put the calorie thing to one side. What I do quite like is um, some restaurants I've noticed, I, I can't think of any names. Um, Don't say them anyway. No, I it's wouldn't all say right. them anyway, of course not. <laughs> but that you'll look at, they'll have the little icon and the key in the corner, it'll say these things are under, say this meal is under 600 calories. It doesn't tell me how many it is, and it'll only maybe be on five or six things on that on that menu. But if I want to go out with my family and think, oh, I really want to be healthy tonight, I'll just have that chicken that's noodles because it's under 600 but i
2: just think you yeah, know gross. you do know that if you're ordering chips it's going to be in a, exactly. in a pub yes. it's not going to be good for you and you know that if you're ordering a salad it's going to be better for you of not course necessarily you salads <laughs> better be for you i'm saying better for you not necessarily calories and i think people are obsessed with calories because if you start putting calories on say desserts you could quite easily order a meringue with fresh fruit and think oh do you know what it's less than 100 calories that's only 80 calories but you're missing the whole point that you've had so much sugar in a meringue so that what are you going to stop it where do you stop it though did you start putting all the detail of
3: what's in those ingredients you mentioned there the salad in actual fact there's more calories in a Caesar salad than there are in chips it depends on the and portion the Caesar, size, surely. No, the Caesar We're salad. Just... No, creamy dressing. It's been proven. But that's though, it, exactly and that's... creamy
2: dressing. You know, that's not good for you. But
3: people don't, though. That's just the point. People don't know that. And people do think and they see a Caesar salad and they think it's healthy and they choose it. But shouldn't we be teaching people what is healthy and what's not healthy rather than just putting would. calories yeah, on things? Yeah, but who's going to do that? You've got to do that yourself. And unless you go and get some advice for it, you can't do that. You've got to do that yourself. So, yes, of course, we should be teaching. What Alex said was really interesting, and it's a good point. And I do like the fact that you said about how, you know, meals under 600 calories, you may choose that if you wanted a lower fat option. And that's great. You don't have to put 537 maybe on the mark. But you also said people, if they're going out, uh, may just forget about the calories because it's a treat and they're going out but you know what we go out so much more now than we ever did before so in actual fact it's not a treat anymore a lot of people are going out two or three times a week for either lunch and dinner I don't so. know if I
4: necessarily agree it's happening any more that now than it used to. I think it depends where you live, where you are and your lifestyle and your money. Um, but I also think when you said it's, it's about yourself, it's about knowing what's healthy and what's not. Well, there you go then. You don't necessarily need a couple of numbers next to your burger to tell you if
3: that's right or wrong. You'd be surprised. I think you'd be very surprised. Like have... I used to have food diaries brought to me on a very regular basis and I would literally read them and people would think that they'd been very healthy in the food choices that they had. And I was amazed at what food choices they'd had.
5: People can beat themselves up a little bit about what they're eating and maybe look at what they're doing when they're not eating. So if they're exercising, regular exercise, then maybe they can give themselves a little bit of a break in what they're eating. Agree. It's all about a balance again. Exactly. It's moderation,
4: yeah. like I've always said. Yeah. yeah. One negative thing I do see coming from this, and I don't know whether it's happened in America or not, that if you do want to have a nice experience and a social experience, which was really, for me, what eating out is all about, is having a good time, hopefully, with friends or family. And if I'm sat there thinking, oh, that's too many calories for me, I'll have a thing and I'll be less satisfied and I'll be h- hungry or I'll eat the thing I really, really want and then feel dreadfully guilty afterwards about it. I think it's kind of taking away a bit of the enjoyment of why you're there in the first place. I'm
2: with you and yeah. I think you also run the risk of becoming a little bit of a bore yeah. um, when you're looking for a menu, kind of adding things up. And when I personally see going out for dinner is a huge treat and something to really, really enjoy. And Sam, I'm really intrigued where you come, uh, where you, how you, what you think of this.
5: Well, I think that people can put themselves through a lot of stress by um, going overboard with counting calories, etc., beating themselves up after eating whatever they feel is too many calories. And that that stress has actually got more of a negative effect effect on them than eating something good and in you, moderation.
2: And you went through a phase where you were... Very much just eating vegetables.
5: I did. I thought um, just because I was running around all the time and exercising quite a lot, and I, the thought of eating heavy, big meals, uh, and I'm usually teaching around meal times, so it was predominantly vegetables. And and then I found that my cholesterol level was rising and rising, and my body was making producing its own fat to produce a high cholesterol level. So I had to then start to eat bring more fat into my diet carbs into my diet so what was perceived to be unhealthy foods for other people I actually needed to balance to balance out so I was actually you know not eating meat for not eating fish but now I have to have a balanced diet of everything.
2: So would you want to see calories on a menu?
5: I'm still not fussed to have calories I don't need calories to sort of know me I think you get self- Knowledge is, is the best thing you can gain.
2: Well, we did ask on
3: our Facebook page what you guys think and we've got some comments, Jay. Yeah, we have, um, works well in states, don't think they put it on everything on the menu, just lower the calories. Um, no, it's just, Oh, I'm reading out the ones there. See, Alex is going to do the ones that are on your side and I'll do the ones of <laughs> mine. So Let's I'm get this right. You ready? Okay. <laughs> Vicky says, yes, a local coffee shop already does this. Um, it does work if everything's bought in, portioned up and microwaved or reheated. But if you're making it fresh from food, it is quite difficult, which I can agree with for mm. sure. Um, yes would be my answer, says Brian. Amy says yes. Jessica says yes. Susan says yes. They want to see the comments. Sorry, the calories on the menu so yes there are some no's
4: as well uh nicholas says no we're not stupid and we know what's high in calories and fat etc and what is not uh, super healthy conscious people always choose what they know is low calories and uh, those that don't care about calories at home won't care when they Mm, eat out which i think is a fair point uh another one is no businesses can't afford even more pen pushing paperwork a different perspective on it completely um there was another no which i'm just trying to Find or some actually, Claire says no. Uh, in fact, this has made me really angry. And Joe, I don't like you anymore, although I think that might be tongue in, tongue in cheek. That She's comment. a friend <laughs> of mine, <Yep. laughs>
3: yeah. Yeah, it's interesting how we said about you know enjoying a meal out and knowing the calories. And if it's higher, then you know it might be a food choice that you would normally make, but because it's higher in calories, you may not enjoy the other meals. Do you know what? It makes it makes me laugh because actually, a lot of the foods and choices that we make that are low in calories are actually really tasty. Mm. So it's not always about having high calorie food that um, has to be, a treat or enjoyment lower calorie food is also still enjoyable too one more comment was no um it's not just about
4: the calories it's also about the fat and i Mm. think that touches on a point we said before where do you draw the line fat is hugely important especially saturated fats sugars salt we've talked about you've talked about these things on the program before i know you have and so i think it's where do you draw the line there's not enough room on the menu if
0: we get into that
2: and i said we weren't going to agree and i think i was right
0: now our guest as i mentioned is an internet sensation here's a little bit of a clue as to who she is (music) i i <music> Rebecca Flint, better known perhaps as Becky Cruel, rose to fame as a teenager after she began posting videos of herself dancing in her bedroom on YouTube. She since then became a household name in Japan. Becky, thank you so much for being here this afternoon. I'm going to have to ask you first of all, where did the Cruel come from?
6: Well, actually, um, the Cruel in my name, there's already a very famous Becky in Japan, so they were kind of like, Becky, you can't just be Becky. I was like why not anyway um, my old management was called life is so cruel so I just kind of came from there really and it stuck
0: okay I find it really hard to imagine how you suddenly go from just being an ordinary teenager doing ordinary teenage things to suddenly this massive massive hit in Japan. because I mean really you I mean I keep using the word sensation but it's true how
6: do you do that it's very shocking especially because it just came from you know my hobby from my bedroom never expecting for it to go beyond that and then to be able to travel to this country which you know I'd adored for so many years Uh, it's it's very shocking Um, I kind of you know it felt like a dream at first and it's just kind of slowly become my life and now it's you know more normal to me but it's still it's still an absolutely incredible thing to experience
0: You said you had a in um, admired and, and, and whatever Japan for so many years what was it about that country
6: I really liked um, you know Japanese culture um, you know that I first was introduced to Japanese culture through uh, the manga comic books it was just so different from you know the Isle of Man life and um, you know having, having never left the island really never been to a city or anything to kind of like learn about um, Japan you know all these many miles away and it's so different to Western culture it was really just very engaging for me so what was it like for you then growing up over here it's been, you know, it's been really good. I think you don't really realize how good it is until you kind of get a little bit older and you're like, actually, this is very nice to be in so, somewhere so beautiful and so peaceful. But growing up, I was always, you know, hoping that I could go to a city and you know experience like a busy life. And I still think I would like to do that at some point. But I do definitely appreciate where I live. You definitely don't have a Manx accent, do you? My accent's really weird. I don't really understand it. If anyone knows what it is, please let me know.
0: <laughs> um, growing up uh, also, you have um, a father who is pretty well known, certainly uh, around the media circles, Derek Flint, who is a policeman. What's that like?
6: Yeah, it's, re- it's really good, to be honest, especially for my work in Japan because it's obviously um, you know doing something so public like being like a public figure in a way um, it's a little bit scary there's some like you know negative sides and so having my dad who's um, a policeman is always, always a good deterrent for any like bad things happening and it's always good knowing that um, you know he can always he's always got my back and he's got like contacts who can you know help us if we get in trouble and things like that so
2: Your dad is all over social media he has more Twitter followers than I think me, Joe, and Beth put together <laughs> and I just wonder who talks. Who really
6: to Twitter? To be honest, we leave each other to it. Like <laughs> he does his thing, I do mine. He's very, very good at it.
0: <laughs> you said that dancing around your room then was a hobby. At what point do you decide I'm going to video this and I'm going to put it out there?
6: That was part of the hobby and it's kind of part of the incentive of wanting to learn the dance is that there's an end goal. So, you know, you learn the dance and because none of my friends at school really did this, so we couldn't dance it together. I was like, all oh, these people online are dancing this, so why don't I upload it too? And, you know, we'll kind of like be dancing together, like even though not in real life, you know, it's like a shared hobby online. So it's kind of, you know, it's the, it's the purpose of uh, uploading it. It's like it's got an end to the, the dance, I guess.
0: And when did you first realise just how popular you were becoming?
6: Oh, it, I mean the first time it was um, I I had email notifications on for when people would subscribe to my channel and when I woke up with like 2,000 new emails I was like I've been put somewhere I don't know where it is but all these people are coming to my YouTube channel I don't know why
0: (laughs) It must be quite daunting because I mean you mentioned the the fact that obviously you've got your dad who acts as a deterrent should anything go wrong but you know it's not always going to be very nice people looking at definitely, this.
6: Definitely, sort of definitely. Yeah, I mean you kinda of have to um take everything online with uh, you know, some some uh, you know buffer. It, it's it's difficult. Um there's a lot of negative people online, like even if you do you know the smallest like most unoffensive thing like it it definitely can blow up in your face and um you know there's a lot of mean people and when there's not a face to um you know the comments then people feel like you know they can say a lot more and not really feel the consequences so um it's been difficult growing up with that but you know learning at a young age to kind of just ignore it and uh, listen to the people who do kind of uh leave a comment because they like you uh, if you take time to reply back to them they're going to care a lot more and appreciate a lot more so what do
0: you know about your fans and who is your typical fan would you say
6: right now my typical fan fan is definitely um young uh british and american girls who like japanese fashion japanese culture um yeah Basically, me a few years ago. <laughs>
0: and how much responsibility do you feel for them in in what you say, in what you do, in what you post?
6: It, it is a big responsibility. It definitely is. Um, I, I I love my fans. They're like a family to me, and um, I do feel like this big kind of big sisterly responsibility. You know, I don't have a, a sister, so <clears> it's nice to have all these little internet little sisters. Um, I you know, I just want to look out for them and make sure that they are kind of uh, you know doing well and making good choices and feeling free to express themselves.
3: Becky, you obviously have been doing this from a very young age. How did you manage school around all your um, celebrity status?
6: It was it was okay. Um, because it's such a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, you can kind of always retake education, but you can never retake opportunities. That's kind of how me and my family saw it. So there was going to be a little bit of like a shift in grades and things, you know, just because of how busy I was trying to manage everything at once. But I felt like I could do it all. And I, I pretty much did. You know, I was happy with the grades that I got at school. And uh, yeah, I managed to balance the workload quite well i would say
3: it was school supportive around it to school your teachers was,
6: yeah i mean there was some uh, animosity and definitely like at school there was like bullies and things like that which was a bit uh disheartening but for the most part, everyone was quite nice and uh, supportive. And, the, you know, the, the Department of Education was very supportive as well, letting me, you know, go away if I needed to and things like that.
0: So you adore Japan, you build up this massive online persona, and then you get to go to the country. What was that like?
6: That It was literally like a dream. Like, I was telling my family days before, I was like, even though we had the tickets booked and printed out, it was like... It's obviously not going to happen. Like we're obviously not going to go. Like I didn't want to get my hopes up too much because this was such a dream come true. It was amazing. And when I was there, I was like, it doesn't feel real. I don't feel like I'm here. And it's so. It was so um, overwhelming. You know, seeing what it's really like compared to like the media just, like depiction of Japan. It was. It was really overwhelming.
0: Well, in 2010, there was a documentary broadcast about you on BBC
7: Three. <laughs>
6: Hello, you lovely people. This is Becky here. Week after week, she uploaded dance after dance.
2: Then one day, she posted one that would change her life. It was called Danjo. One internet hit followed another, and soon Becky found herself being watched by
0: half a million people. We were all dancing along to that. I think it's fair to say we should not post that anywhere near YouTube. But um, that documentary went out. Did that make you more well-known over here in, in the UK?
6: Definitely. I mean, I remember people were kind of tweeting me saying, uh, my mum recorded it for me. And I was like, if if I wasn't me, my mum would have definitely recorded that for me, like if it was someone else. Because it, it's totally the thing that, you know, I was interested in, you know, anything to do with Japan. My mum was always like, oh, look, Becky, something about Japan. Like, And just for other people to have that for their family was quite... Uh, shocking as well. I was like, really nice. I watched it when
2: I was at university and I was at the same school as Becky oh. obviously a few years younger than me and um, I remember we were all just sat in our flat watching it and suddenly we were like, oh that's the Isle Man. Wait, that's that's the policeman and that's, and it was the most bizarre experience watching it because I had no idea that someone from the island was doing that now i think it's fair to say that for many of us our early memories include music as children we love to sing and dance to our favorite songs and those memories stay with us throughout our adult lives well this summer tv channel nick jr has launched a new sing-along initiative to give budding stars the chance to sing on television and there are many ways many ways even to get the kids involved. Now 9 out of 10 Brits say the music they enjoyed during childhood evokes strong positive memories for them today. But why? Well I've been speaking to Dr Sam Vass, a cognitive scientist and presenter of The Secret Life of a 4 year old to find out. But first, apparently this band came top of the list for positive memories and it definitely does for me.
8: A lot of people say that their very earliest memories are music related memories why one of the reasons is what's special about music compared to other art forms is music is something that really takes place in the body as much as it takes place in the brain so when we're listening to a piece of music if it's a fast piece piece of music our heart will actually physically beat faster uh, when we're listening to the music so it has a much bigger effect on us physically than other art forms do This is particularly true, Kate, um, if we're thinking about singing, so participating in music, because what you're having to do, the other thing that you're having to do when you're singing is taking these big, long, deep breaths in to sing out all of the words to a, a whole line of a song. And this is a very different pattern of breathing to how we normally breathe. So normally we breathe quite fast and quite shallowly, particularly when we're upset or stressed. So singing forces us to take these big, slow breaths, which is the same way that we breathe when we're calm. So it can really help us physically to calm down. So it just has a big effect on us. So this is one of the reasons why a lot of people report their earliest memories to be music memories, and also particularly why when people remember their early musical memories they tend overwhelmingly to be happy memories
2: it's interesting isn't it as well when we think about remembering things because we can read Mm -hmm. a book and i think we forget what happens in the plot quite quickly whereas with a song we we seem to just the the lyrics stick in our brain
8: Yeah, no, no, definitely. Because they've, well, oftentimes, Kate, that's um, lyrics that we've listened to again and again and again. So this is another really powerful thing about music that often we have this urge, almost everybody, I'm sure you can think of an example from your life, I can certainly think of examples (laughs) from mine, where we've just sat of an afternoon and just listen to a song again and again and again so it really burns itself deeply into into your 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 brain and into your body many um, teenage
2: um, afternoons uh, whiling away you know, with angst exactly, in our bedrooms exactly so
8: but one of the things so what i'm trying to emphasize with this initiative kate is singing's good for children let children choose the music that they sing to and you really shouldn't be worried if they do have this urge because it's a very natural urge to choose the same song again and again and again because we really are starting to understand kind on a brain level why it is that we have this kind of urge to to listen to music so intensively and it really is a healthy thing to do
3: i remember when we broke up the first time saying this is it i've had enough because like we hadn't seen each other in a month when you said you needed space
2: Well, how good are we at kind of including music in our children's lives?
8: Well, so research, so this research, this survey that we just had commissioned suggests that 75% of parents uh, do sing with their children, which is good because, as I say, there's a lot of research suggesting that it's a really, really healthy way of bonding, forging relationships with your child. But it also 75% is good, but it also means that 25% never sing with their children, and that's a problem. And that's what we're looking to shift. So that's one of the reasons why we launched this initiative.
2: Are there particular songs that we should be singing with them? No, I think,
8: Kate, it's a question of choosing the song to fit your child's mood. So we spend so long as adults, as parents, telling children what to do and let, choosing the, uh, the choice of music is one area where it's perfectly safe to let the kids be in charge. So let the kids decide what they want to listen to and kids love that. They respond really well to being in charge for a change.
2: Well let's talk a little bit about the Sing Along Summer Initiative. You're not coming yeah. to the Isle of Man unfortunately. No, not. if any sadly of our listeners not. find find themselves and their children in the UK this summer, what exactly is going on?
8: We are taking a karaoke booth round um, some UK cities. As you said Kate, unfortunately we're not making it to the Isle of Man. But we've also on the TV channel, as part of our Sing along summer program. We're putting the lyrics to all of the theme musics to songs onto the screen as the theme music is playing to encourage the child to sing along. And if you've got a child who really fancies themselves as a singer, then what you can do is you can video your child singing a song, upload it online on the Nick Jr. website, and then if they're judged to be one of the best, then the prize is to appear on national TV.
2: Now, I'm an awful Awful singer, and my uh-huh. parents would admit that. Uh-huh. What if other parents are thinking, "Ooh, ooh," then they're just tone deaf.
8: Well, the key thing, Kate, is it's with this one. Unlike other competitions, it's not done just on the quality of your voice; is done off your passion. So, how much you're enjoying yourself, your charisma, whether you really turn it into a performance. So, I'd say you've got a good chance.
2: Oh, I think I might be a little bit too old. Yeah, well, I'm in with a chance, apparently. Doctor Sam Vast talking to me there. How much did? music how much of a part did music play in your childhood oh
3: it was huge we always had music on and I remember growing up you know up the top of the stairs listening um, to my parents having dinner parties and um, they were listening to like Barbara Streisand Guilty Album or Barbara Dixon and you know um, Genesis whoever it was and I I had really fond memories because it was laughter and they were having great time but there was always music on in our house and you know I went to boarding school and I always took tapes back that my mum used to listen to and it was of Susie on um, Max Radio <laughs> that she would stop and record Susie's show because they have exactly best friends. They have exactly the same music taste. So um, I used to take tapes of what Susie used to play at Manx Radio because it reminded me of my mum and it reminded me of home. It was lovely.
2: So how good are you then at letting your children actually choose the music now?
3: Oh yeah, um, brilliant at that actually because really? yeah I'm really lucky Molly who's 14 we have really similar music choice she does have a few songs that are a bit you know these <laughs> days and that's kind of like you know a little bit clubby like uh, maybe show my age there but um, ah. Harry and Molly have uh, really similar music choice so when we're in the car we really connect actually and obviously going through her teens it's a really hard time for her and she loves her music she has it on all the time and it's not you know out of the bedrooms or anything just yet but when we're in the car it's a great discussion point for the two of us because we try and remember who it was and, and we really really talk about music and especially obviously with me doing the breakfast show she knows that I love music so it's a really good connection, actually.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. My, whenever I think of music, it is something that really reminds me, especially of my dad and my brother's incredibly musical. So it's something that takes me straight back into those kind of memories. John, Michael. I how just want to hear that music.
7: imitation of that. <laughs> 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 Thanks. Oh. <laughs> just to confirm that I did get that right. My <laughs>
2: favourite part of that is Joe's weird kind of pokey finger dance yeah, that she's doing with so it. Yeah, I can see you <laughs> doing that in the club, Joe. And
7: from your side of things, Kate, who is angst? who was angst yeah because in the recording there you spent a lot of time in your bedroom with angst <laughs> and I just wondered if that was some Scottish guy we should all know about and <laughs> what memory it takes you back you're like Rod Stewart apparently oh, we'll no but anyway going, going back to you. me um, no actually when you when in the in the pre-production meeting we had I was thinking about this and when I was a kid I must have been about six years old and every single Sunday my mother would play an Atkin Cole album called Stardust which actually has that track on it but it's also got Unforgettable on it and it, if ever I hear that today it takes me right back to the kitchen the smell of roast beef the whole thing uh, and we weren't they, my parents weren't a big musical family in fact my father bought me a gramophone on the pretense that he was tone deaf but he then had it wired up so I would put headphones on to listen to Elton John and stuff like that and wouldn't disturb them but you know you're right and it places you in time and it, it's where you were
2: what about you Michael? You're incredibly musical yourself. No,
0: no,
7: I, I'm part of that percentage that I certainly, as your guest speaker suggested, that I didn't have when I was young, if you're talking about under 10, I certainly didn't have uh, the family and certainly the parents singing along. We didn't do anything like that at all and I was much more interested in um, poetry really and one of the poems that I, I lived with from that age was The Isle of free and that has always been with me sort of from that early age but um, no, we didn't do that sort thing Uh, and and in fact funny you reminded me there John um, of talking about your father's gramophone yes my father had a gramophone as well a very posh one a big piece of furniture and there was a little note on the inside (laughs) when you opened it please do not touch
3: (laughs) Do you know? For the first time ever on this show, I feel quite young. <laughs>
7: Do you actually know what a gramophone is?
3: I've seen pictures uh, of them. There you them. go. You uh, see, you see, see. I, we yeah. were like with LPs, so we had an LP yeah. record player. Yeah. For LPs, Kate, that's yeah. that's yeah. going back yeah. in the dark ages, yeah. isn't it?
2: Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm so lost. But Joe, <laughs> I think this might bring back some memories for you.
3: Genesis, Joe? Mm, Explain got yourself. Okay, this takes me back to a time where I went to Portugal with my family for a month and we stayed in a really nice villa in the, in the middle of nowhere. And my dad was really, really working a lot, really working hard, and he was way an awful lot. And it was a stressful time for him. And we went away as a family for a month, and we literally, I think, listened to the Genesis album Invisible Touch every single mm. night. I can smell the sardines on the barbecue. I can see my dad sitting down, relaxed, with a cigar and a glass of rose, and just the feel of it. I mean, I, I've got goosebumps all over me. It's a, it's a wonderful album. But it does take me back to being a little girl and seeing my parents really happy
2: I think that's really lovely Joe. Hmm. That's really nice. I'm gonna share mine now. <laughs> it's uh, slightly slightly different in uh, in style. This song takes me straight back to my childhood. Oh well, Joe, you're looking at me like I'm mad. What a contrast! It's half man, half biscuit. This song, as soon half as I man, hear it, biscuit. as soon as I hear it, it, takes me straight back to driving from our home in Laxey to Suffolk. Um, it seemed like the longest journey you could possibly do. It as would a be child. if you are
7: playing that, though, wouldn't it?
2: <laughs> but we used to sing this at the top of our voice. <laughs> Come on, give us a bit. Go on, then. I've, I've just said i have tone deaf. Um, I mean, probably don't need to be too tuned for for this but what we used to sing is me my brother and my dad probably just drove my mum absolutely insane singing this top of our voices but however when I was listening back to it for the first time in a little while this morning I did remember that there is this line in it okay you ready
7: what say we go the Isle of Man see see
2: Now, before we introduce our guest this afternoon, I'm going to be incredibly honest. I have never been a fan of yoga. I've tried it and I'm even ashamed to say I've actually fallen asleep in yoga classes and I even lived with a yoga instructor for three years. But Joe, you are a huge yoga fan.
3: I am, and thanks to our guest, in actual fact I am. Um, yeah, I love it. I try to go as often as I can with work at the moment and not so much getting there, but Sam's my inspiration by being here today, so I'm back on it. Um, but I do, I love it, and it's helped me in so many different ways from going a really difficult year obviously going through separation it helped me sort out my mind um but also with having back injuries discs out it's really helped my core and I don't suffer with back pain anymore so lots of different reasons why I do go to yoga
2: Alex Watton. I say yoga, you say... Noga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a fan. you totally practice that. That's,
4: that's not actually true. I just really I can't resist a good pun. Um, no, I, I've done yoga in the past and I've actually really enjoyed it. I think um, it depends on your lifestyle and I think it's a bit of a commitment you have to make which I haven't been able to... I'm a commitment phobe, I haven't been able to commit to yoga, so maybe in the future if I'm convinced today.
2: Well, as Jo mentioned, our guest today is a yoga instructor with nearly 20 years of experience. She opened her own studio in 2006 and has become an internationally recognised trainer. Sam Walker, thank you very much for joining us on Women Today this afternoon. Hello. (laughs) I may have just said that I've never been a fan and I I feel really embarrassed and ashamed sitting in front of you, but I do promise that I am open-minded Do you think you'll be able to change my mind about yoga?
5: Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely.
2: Confident. I like that. I like that. But what is it about yoga that you love so much?
5: It's diversity, I think, um, to give you whatever you need or whatever each individual needs, uh, whether it's relaxation or whether you want a big power workout. Um, So it gives you everything. How did you get started? I got started after the birth of my second child um, and wanted to think differently about exercise, and I think the aerobic scene was sort of becoming old-fashioned. And a uh, leaflet dropped through my door, actually, for the college um, the college courses, so I went along to a, a school hall in the dinner hall and with 50 other people and and like you, actually, I was sleepy <laughs> and falling asleep. and But I kept going. I kept going. And and for some reason, I kept going. And uh, my mind perhaps wasn't in the right place at the right time, just giving birth to kids, just leaving my husband at home with the kids thinking, well, I hope they're all right, I hope they've gone to bed, and really not focused but still going. Um, but what really took me over the edge was um, uh, one day, it wasn't exciting enough, just as you said, really... Um, So I happened to come across a a channel on um, one of the TV channels, which has since gone. And I saw that yoga wasn't really as I was doing with lots of perhaps older ladies, that stereotypical image that people might have of it. And this was a couple of young people on some beach in Jamaica uh, doing something that was a little bit more flowing. And I got quite excited about this, but it was... Very short moments with long adverts. So I had to. This was so long ago. I had to tape the ad, <laughs> tape, eliminate the adverts, putting this practice together, and then trying to get up before the kids got uh, up and do this practice. But then something something was happening. Um, it was making me sharper in my mind, stronger, and you know. To be honest, it was difficult. I think you have that postnatal blues. And it was picking me up, and it was making me exercise again in a, in a more intelligent way. It was different. I was thinking differently, and I didn't need to jump around to get my, my body back.
2: What, I mean, um, what difference has it made to your life, aside from feeling more kind of in tune, I guess, your everyday life?
5: Um, like Joe, it gets you through all of the ups and the downs. Whether you're hyperactive, which I can tend to be, and it calmed me down a little bit, or whether you're prone to depression, and I was as a ki- ever since a kid, and I knew that I couldn't really sit still, but you can't have a crazy exercise regime 100% of the time and go into old age with that. So it has to fi- you have to find your balance, and that's what it did. It found my balance physically and mentally.
2: So speaking of balance, you also were uh, a bit of a dab hand at some martial
5: arts. <laughs> I found that that balance needed to happen as well, that I wanted something that was less airy-fairy and something that was empowering me as a woman and making me feel strong because people could perceive yoga to be girly and flimsy, and so I stepped into this martial art world where... I was kicking and and uh, it made me very strong and I moved very slowly with a lot of control and even had to do the punching and kicking through blocks. and uh, So it was very good. So I earned my red belt in Budokan.
4: I'm going to edge away from
5: you now. <laughs> I'm quite scared. I'm scared for a desk if
2: you can hit through things. <laughs> but I understand there are, there are so many different types and styles of yoga and different ways to practice it. What do you do?
5: I have... Uh, broad knowledge of all of the different styles of yoga but again I like to create a balance so if you think about it as that I've gone and I've experienced all of them and i have like well I don't really think that's very beneficial but I can see where the benefits there are and I've filled up my little backpack of all that knowledge of all these 20 years and think well I think this is the perfect balance that it's a mixture of everything Yoga can sometimes be a little bit religious in this type think that their yoga is the best and the other type that think that theirs is the best. But it's a whole mixture, a real balance of everything. And do you think
2: that's helping to get away from the sort of preconceptions people have of you say, an airy fairy yoga? Yeah. Cause you don't strike me as particularly airy fairy. Oh, no, I really
5: like to strip down all of that. So um, none of that comes into it. Yes, there's chanting, and if you want chanting, it can be. It can be there if you want it to be, but I think that the entry level of yoga needs to be so um, open-minded, light-hearted, and after all, it's. A f- it, I really have taken it and stripped. Um, away all of the airy-fairy stuff so that it's more achievable for anyone, anyone
3: to rock through my door. And I have to say, when I'm doing it, I was explaining to somebody in the office just the other day about how it's the one hour in my day where I don't think about anything else whatsoever because you can't you've got to think about things because that you're doing at the time so it brings it all into very much mindfulness because you've got to be very mindful of like when we do balancing poses you can't be thinking about something else that's going on because otherwise you lose your balance so I think it's brilliant for people that have such busy lives because in actual fact you can't have your phone with you. You can't do anything apart from think about exactly what you're doing for that whole one hour. Mm. And that's what I love about it. It's a complete escapism.
2: Is it then, Sam, is it a
5: physical or a mental workout? It's absolutely both. It's, it's physically working and you being intelligent to figure out perhaps your imbalances. So whether you're a runner or a cyclist or you do nothing, you have to sit at a desk and you don't get as much exercise as you want to get, then it's you attuning your body, you're fine-tuning it so that your cycling's going to be enhanced, your running, your exercise, your relaxation is going to be enhanced, your, sh- your sharpness in your work and in relationships is going to be enhanced.
2: Do you find that a lot of athletes who perhaps do sports completely different and quite opposite to yoga come to yoga classes to, to find that balance?
5: I think that everyone who steps through my door finds it would be my job for them to help them find their balance and to not compare to the person next to them and to see where they are, and it's all about where you are on that
3: day. That's a really good point because at the beginning I was you know not able to do such poses and I'd be getting really irritated looking at other people going I want to be able to do that and actually what Sam taught me was very much that it's not about other people it is absolutely about yourself. Maybe but,
2: this is why I, I've never been a fan because my competitive side goes nope I want this to be a bit competitive and I want that to be a challenge and I want that to be a winner.
3: But that's okay to do <laughs> that within yourself. You know, and you see other people doing it. You think, I want to do that, but I'm not going to maybe get there today. But one thing I do also find about yoga is it's amazing how much it tones up your body by using your own weight. So you don't need to be using weights. You don't need to be using anything else apart from your own body to actually tone yourself up with. So it's a quite useful tool.
2: And it's incredibly popular at the moment. Over the last few years, it seems to have just grown and grown in popularity. Why do you think that is, Sam?
5: Because I think everybody can relate to it in their own way. So it's not running where it's one thing that you're doing. If someone stepped through my door that I would like to be able to teach them where they don't know what's coming next so it's not a repetitive action and a repetitive action could be perceived to be not so good for your body. So by not knowing what's coming next, it's keeping a sharp mind and you're turning up every day because you don't know what you're going to get. So it's, it's different for everyone and, and it can be continued to old age. In line with that popularity, I suppose, that
4: resurgence, I've really noticed the fads, or what I call fads, probably more novelty yogas perhaps, like uh, hot yoga, which has been a bone of contention in the, in recent history, and step yoga, and just all these bizarre yeah. sort of mixes of how you can spice up yoga. Is that good, or is that really kind of detracting from what yoga's all about?
5: I think that if if that's somebody's first entry into yoga, yoga on surfboards <laughs> boxing yoga if that's a f- their first entry into it because otherwise they may nev- may never have come to it then that's fine and then they can refine it and think well actually that that seems a bit daft now and now I'm just going to do this this yoga and do you think it's daft refine it mm. <laughs> some of it's a bit daft but no it's all right it's it's good gets people involved i guess it's control
2: there. yeah <laughs> um, you're incredibly passionate about trying to convert people like me who perhaps don't quite see the appeal of yoga. If you could sum it up, how would you sell yoga? to
5: convert me Um, could I say could I ask are you easily distracted
2: (laughs) you have to ask
5: (laughs) I can see it you know at school was that that on your reports easily distracted so that's why I teach in a certain way I think that if you come through the door and you're going to be bored I don't want that to happen to anybody so whether it's at a beginner's level if it's absolutely at a beginner's level then I'd want somebody to come in and not be bored but on the other hand you're not disappearing from reality for an hour there's that there's that balance going on, that mixture going on where you want your mind to to gain control so that when you go out, things can be sorted out. You know, things that all the ups and downs in life can be sorted out.
0: Thanks, as always, to our amazing guests. And as ever, it's never too late for you to get involved. Head over to Facebook, find the Women Today Facebook page, and you can comment there, or you can follow us at MRWomentoday on Twitter. And you can listen again to the full programmes on manxradio.com or join us every weekday live from just after two o'clock.
1: Um, Angie Street is going to be joining me for a mile and Oh, here we go. The snorting oh, started.
3: Women Today, brought to you by Citywing.com for your next flight away.